Hello, and welcome to Things We Said Today, our bi-weekly podcast about anything and everything to do with the Beatles, collectively and individually, past, present, sometimes even future. I'm Alan Cozen, the author of The Beatles From the Cavern to the Rooftop, and got that something, How the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Changed Everything, and co-author with Adrian Sinclair of the forthcoming McCartney Legacy series, volume one due out in October. Um, and a writer about music and musicians for the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and various other fine publications. I'm joined by my esteemed co-hosts, Ken Michaels, who you know is the host of the syndicated Beatles radio show, Every Little Thing, and a co-host of the solo Beatles podcast, Talk More Talk. He also has his own YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio, even though it's on YouTube. Um, there's a philosophical point here. Um, and, uh, and his own website, kenmichaelsradio.com, where he has tons of interviews on Beatles-related subjects. So Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And I'm looking forward to this interview that we're about to do. Okay, and Darren DeVivo, a DJ at WFUV FM 90.7 in the New York area. Um, he's been there since 1984 and still going strong. If you're not in the vicinity of New York, you can hear him and everything else at WFUV at WFUV.org. And he has other ways you can tune in too. So Darren, how's, how's it going with you? Things are good. Uh, great to see you, Alan. Great to see you again, Ken. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to be talking about um, new film, uh, Beatles in India, and we'll be um, having a chat with Pete Compton, um, one of the directors of the film. Um, but first, of course, we have news, and Ken will give it to us. Okay, thank you, Alan. It was big news, for sure, when it was announced last Friday that Paul McCartney will once again be starting another tour, which will be called the Got Back Tour. Uh, so far, he'll be touring North America beginning April 28th at the Spokane Arena, Spokane, Washington. And it'll be running through June 16th at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Altogether, and we don't know if any dates will be added, a total of 14 dates over roughly six weeks. Uh, there will be a pre-sale tomorrow. Now we're recording this on February the 21st. So we're talking Tuesday, February 22nd. Uh, there'll actually be two pre-sales. There'll be one for American Express members at 10 a.m. local time. And then at 12 noon, uh, fans who have already signed up to the paulmccartney.com newsletter, they'll be getting an exclusive password ahead of the sale. And tickets to the general public will be made available this Friday, February 25th at 10 a.m. local time. It's also interesting to note that uh, Paul's tour will overlap Ringo's tour a bit. And there are a few days when both Paul and Ringo are playing the same day here in the United States. So big news, uh, following the pandemic, Paul, as promised, is back on the road. You guys want to say anything about that? Is Glastonbury official yet? I heard a report 
and it was on a British TV show that he's going to perform there, but I haven't seen an official word yet. But if that does happen, that usually happens in June, June and I would 25th. figure it'll happen. Yeah. Okay. So that'll be after Paul turns 80. Yeah. A week and if, if he does do this, he'll be the oldest artist ever to headline Glastonbury. Right. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Who's Aaron? the oldest right now? Do you know? I don't know. No? I have no idea. Okay. We'll have to look that up. All right. Well, um, um, I guess I wasn't surprised. I wasn't. I wasn't surprised by the announcement because um, we know that Paul loves to play live, loves to tour, and had been touring regularly up until, you know, right before the pandemic. So I guess it's natural. It's it's really isn't a surprise that now that the coast is somewhat clear. We hope. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that Paul's looking to get back out there. Sorry. He's looking to got back out there um, and, uh, and tour again. Um, my reaction actually uh, was mixed to the announcement. I think I was happy to hear it because enough time now has gone by since I last saw Paul that I need my fix again. Mm. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Was it 2017, I think? It was the last time McCartney came through or it might have been... 2019. Was it 2019 come, come through the New York area? All right. Um, I, I'm, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So mm -hmm. whatever. Um, I think I'm ready to see a McCartney show. I was pretty excited at the early rumors that he would play City Field. Because, of course, that's the home of the Mets. But more importantly, when it comes to music, um, probably my favorite McCartney shows were the ones he did in 2009 at City Field. Um, but he's at MetLife Stadium. Of course, I'm very concerned about can his voice hold up? You know, um, has there been some sort of, you know, will his voice improve a bit with rest? I don't know if that's possible. He has been off the road for a while now. What about, um, you know, maybe some exercises or coaching that he may or may not, you know, he had plenty of time, you know, we all did. Mm -hmm. the, with the pandemic. So my reaction was mixed. Um, I'm thrilled to get that one, then uh, another opportunity to see him, but I'm concerned a bit about what it might sound like, what he might sound like. So I much would have preferred finding out that he's got a new album ready to go or something like that. But, uh, but Hey, Hey, you know, and people are complaining uh, on social media, mainly, you know, I'm pretty much only on Facebook about the ticket prices. And it always seems like people start going at McCartney about the ticket prices. Look at the price to every other show. Large scale concert out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the age we live in, you know, we can do about right. the price of the ticket. But um, so, yeah, I mean, my reaction was mixed. My feelings are mixed, but I think when Olin says, when all is said and done, I'm happy he's healthy enough and feeling well enough and up to it and wants to play live. His show at uh, MetLife Stadium, which uh, right now is the last show of the tour, unless dates are added, will be two days before he turns 80. Right. And, and uh, we'll have just seen for those, well, in my case, those of us and, and, and Ken, you, those of us in the New York area, 
will have just seen the 81-year-old Ringo earlier in the month at the Beacon Theater. So got to yeah. be thankful about that and not worry so much about, I guess, voice condition and ticket price. Well, you know, I, I pretty much agree with so much of what you just said there, Darren. Um, I don't want to say I'm mixed because I'm just happy to see Paul doing something that he genuinely enjoys doing. Yeah. And it's in his blood. He loves to perform. He loves to entertain. He loves the feedback. And yeah, I'm concerned about his voice like a lot of fans are. But I don't know what he's done the last few years, if he's done anything to improve it. I don't know if you can. Um, yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I, he doesn't really talk about that at all. But I think the most important thing is that he's living his life the way he wants to do it. Mm -hmm. And even though there's a part of me that is the very selfish part of me that would like to see him release as many studio albums as possible, um, you know, in the last years of his life. And believe me, I hope he lives to be 200. But, uh, you know, I know that there's so many new Beatle fans out there and new McCartney fans that have never seen him live before. And he's doing a great service by staying out there. And um, I'll also be curious to find out. And I actually, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps everything the same in terms of, you know, he always gives you a, a close to a three hour concert. Mm -hmm. Can his body approaching 80 still be able to handle that? You know, he's very proud of the fact that he gives you his money's worth. There's no crime if he scales it back a little bit, makes it two and a half hours or even two hours. Who would blame him for that? Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're 30 years old and you're on stage, it's very demanding to give a three hour concert. But uh, I, I'm I'm curious to see, you know, how his voice holds up. And, you know, the most important thing to me is that he's really enjoying himself and being true to what he wants to do. Yeah, I'd love to have a new album every single year from him. But if it's important for him to be out there and to entertain people, and there's so many areas around the world where, where people have never seen him perform, somewhere he rarely ever goes to. You know, a few years ago, he played Australia for the first time since the Wings days. Those people had to wait a long time, you know, unless they flew to some other continent to see Paul perform. So... I'm happy for Paul that he's doing this and I'm happy for the fans that, that want to see him. And I'm always in the mood for a McCartney concert. So anyway, we shall see. Uh, more news. Ringo Starr's new book, Lifted, includes photos taken by fans and by him with proceeds going to his charity, the Lotus Foundation. Ringo appeared on the Jimmy Kimmel show Thursday night, last Thursday night. He was also on Australia's version of the Today Show to promote the book. And he also talked about the Get Back documentary. Ringo was very funny and in top form for both. Among the topics covered was how he came to write Octopus's Garden. The subject of farting, since there's a scene in Get Back where Ringo admits that he just let one go. And uh, talking about a few uh, specific photos from the new book he does as well. Uh, which you can purchase exclusively through juliansauctions.com. Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel, showed a photo of Ringo, wife Barbara, and Joe Walsh with his wife Marjorie having attended the Super Bowl. And Jimmy asked if Ringo was a Rams fan, and Ringo said yes when he's in L.A. But he also 
has followed football here and he says he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. And online, Ringo did post this photo online with the words, uh, we are the champions, go Rams, go, peace and love. <laughs> I would have preferred Ram on instead, but you know. Wow. Wow. There you go. <laughs> According to The Guardian, it's now reported that the Beatles rooftop performance first shown in IMAX theaters on the 53rd anniversary of its event, January 30th, followed by three days in IMAX theaters, February 11th, 12th, and 13th, is now being shown in conventional theaters in the UK. And that has already started <clears throat> since February 18th. I'm not sure if it's going to be anywhere else in the world. If any of our listeners know, if, uh, if you're in the US and you know of the uh, rooftop performance being shown in a regular theater, please let us know and we'll pass it along here on the show. George Harrison is on the front cover of Mojo Magazine with the words, the quiet Beatles fight to be heard. The issue also has a tribute to Ronnie Spector. Owen Lynn's new book, George Harrison in the 70s, comes out March the 24th. That's the official date for that. Owen's been a guest on my YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio, and also on Two Legs, uh, the Paul McCartney podcast. Um, and with special thanks to one of our listeners, J.D. Mack, we learned that the Fender Guitar Company is honoring uh, George with the George Harrison Rosewood Telecaster. Based on the original Telecaster created for Harrison by Roger Rasmussen, this guitar remains true to its heritage with a classic look and retaining the unique tone only an all Rosewood guitar can produce. The body is chambered for reduced weight and increased resonance. Other features include a rosewood neck with a laminated nine and a half inch radius rosewood fingerboard and a custom neck plate engraved with an arm symbol. Okay, another record store day is approaching and we've got a few items to be announced for that day, which is April the 23rd. And there will be a 12 inch of Paul McCartney's song, Women and Wives from his McCartney three album. On Dark Horse Records, the 1974 single for the Shanker family and friends, I Am Missing You, backed with Lust. Uh, that must be a 45. It actually says in the press release album, but that was released as a 45 and 74. That's what this must be. Plus on translucent vinyl, one in orange, one in blue, the Ringo the Fourth album from 1977, and I've heard only a thousand copies have been made for each of the different colored vinyl uh, versions there. A few more items here. You might be familiar with the organization called Theater Within. Uh, every year since John Lennon's murder, they have put on Lennon tribute shows in New York City close to the anniversary of John's death. This year, they're actually announcing a Lennon and McCartney celebration featuring their first ever concert of the music of Paul McCartney to also celebrate his upcoming 80th birthday in June. Theater Within's concert will be the day after Paul's birthday, June 19th, which they will hold at the City Winery in New York. And their annual tribute to John, which is held at Symphony Space on Broadway and 95th Street, is being moved to October the 8th. In addition to these tribute concerts, Theater Within has provided over 500 free workshops in creative expression and mindfulness for children and teens and adults 
impacted by cancer. They also launched the John Lennon Real Love Project, a visionary songwriting program for public elementary schools. And uh, finally, we'd like to wish, belatedly, a very happy birthday to Yoko Ono, who turned 89 last Friday. And don't forget, a new tribute CD has just come out on Yoko called Ocean Child, Songs of Yoko Ono, with various artists covering Yoko's songs, and curated by Benjamin Gibbard of the band Death Cab for Cutie, which you have right there. Right on time, it's right on cue, Darren. I just got it. So it's still in the plastic, so. Okay. There it is. I've heard some of it on YouTube and I will be getting a copy. It sounds really good. Yeah. I love the choice of, and selection of the songs there. Uh, WFUV is playing David Byrne and Yola Tengo's version of Who Has Seen the Wind. Um, and actually there's so many artists on this album that are uh, fixtures of WFUV's playlists. Uh, Sharon Van Etten, if you don't mind me at, uh, just ro rolling off a couple of names here. Mm -hmm. Sharon Van Etten, Death Cab for Cutie, Tao, Jay Som, Stephen Merritt, who uh, is part of uh, the front man of the Magnetic Fields, uh, Flaming Lips are here, Japanese Breakfast, and uh, there's uh, some more. And the material that they cover um, is pretty wide-ranging, like Who Has Seen the Wind, we know is a B-side, Plastic Ono Band B-side uh, to mm -hmm. uh, Instant Karma. Stephen Merritt covers Listen, the Snow is Falling. The B-side, The Happy Christmas War is Over. Um, uh, Don't Be Scared gets covered. Tune from uh, Milk and Honey. Um, mm. You know, things like uh, Born in a Prison from Sometime in New York City is done right. by the girls. You know, so uh, Dogtown, which was on uh, the I guess it was the first Yoko Ono tribute album, Every Man is a Woman. It was a version of Dogtown. There's a new version of Dogtown. So it's a very interesting collection, Benjamin Gibbard uh, behind it. And uh, it's a good album, really good album. Hmm. I, I, um, I can't wait to listen. I like hearing different arrangements of these songs. Just like I love Beatle covers, you know? There you go. And that's all the news I have. Okay. Oh, no news. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> so as I had mentioned before the news, today we're going to be talking about The Beatles and India, the film that is um, showing now already on BritBox um, in America and will be available for ordering soon, if not now, on Amazon and other places you might uh, order DVDs and Blu-rays. Um, we have with us Peter Compton, the uh, director, co-director with Ajoy Bose of The Beatles and India. And, um, you know, we thought maybe first before we talk to Peter, we will show you the trailer, um, which is quite nice. Did you enjoy the trip over to India? The journey was terrible, but the trip was all right. We had a nice holiday in India and came back rested. When George and we got connected, it was like wildfire, you know. Paul phoned George and said, there's this man called Maharishi who's going to come and talk about meditation. <laughs> Maharishi was the most powerful, magnetically charismatic person I've ever met. 
their manager, their best friend, was now gone. He was found in his second floor bedroom just after two o'clock this afternoon. For that moment in time, Maharishi replaced Brian. The Beatles were coming to stay with the Maharishi. The whole world and its media is going to be here. The huge crowd assembled here outside, looking the new face of the English people, like the big hairs and all that. It was a craze. They had descended in our part of the country and they had embraced the spiritual narrative of India. We felt, look, uh, they are one of us. It was really some trip, the biggest trip I've ever had in my life, you know. There was no pressure from the outside world. Their creative juices just overflowed. They said there was a CIA camp in the ashram getting all these foreigners to destabilize India. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, a great spiritual leader or maybe a great charlatan and crook, depending on which side you're looking at him. The happiest time of my life, one of the happiest times is in India. It was just such a groove, you know, it was such a, a pure thing. So, Peter, um, you know, what I enjoyed, I think, most about this film is that um, I guess I came to it expecting it to be mostly about the Beatles in Rishikesh, but it actually it actually is a lot more expansive than that. It goes back to the beginnings of George Harrison, in particular's interest in Indian music and Indian spirituality, um, running into the instruments on the help set and uh, how he pursued it after that. And also um, the effect that the Beatles had on India, which is something we never think about. You know, we, we always think about the Beatles going to Rishikesh. We never think about what Indian people made of the Beatles. Um, what led you to take that approach? Okay, so my co-director, Joy Bose, is a, um, a very um, established political journalist in India. And he, he wrote a book that Penguin published in 2018 called Across the Universe. And in that book, he he tracked down, he'd spent about three years tracking down anyone connected with the Beatles in India, which, which was difficult in some cases, but in others, fairly easy. They, um, like George Harrison moved in all sorts of circles mm -hmm. between the 70s, 80s and 90s. And that. So he, it could be he that we introduced, uh, interviewed some like in millionaire industrialists where he he had dinner with them quite regularly. Then we met someone where he he approached George outside a hotel, and George used to come in for tea in the afternoons because he's like the Indian the Indian tea concept. So a joy kind of joined all that together, um, and then we planned the shoot in 2019. Went out to the ashram, obviously, and then we went to all the places: Delhi, Mumbai, or Bombay, as it was known then, and. Um, and interviewed as many people as we could. So there's still still some interviews that, that we couldn't uh, shoehorn into the film. But in that process, um, we picked up, you know, people were giving us like photo albums with photos of the Beatles and it that hadn't been seen since they put them in the album, you know, in 1968. So that we knew there was a, a really good story to tell there. And, and your reaction has been the same with everyone that's, you know, connected with Beatle lore and that. It, they're just, um, they just like they just like the whole concept of the film. 
um, all those people that you interview, I mean, it gives us a whole slate of new people with Beatles wow. involvement who haven't been interviewed before or seen before, or their names even generally being known. Yeah. I, I gather you um, sort of met with Ajoy and first began talking about this at the White Album Symposium at Monmouth University, where we all yeah. were too. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we would have been, yes, well, we would have, yeah, if only we'd known. I mean, Ajoy was, Ajoy was kind of um, thrown in at the deep end there. He'd never, he, he didn't know anyone there at all. And I, I knew about his book, so I just approached him there. And then he, he kind of, he got much more sort of relaxed than that. So he did, I don't know if you went to his, um, he did a lecture on the, on the book, in fact, when he was there um, and talked about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so he, he, he was a rebel in his, he was a rebel in his youth in India. Um, and he was he was there at the he was always around for the Beatles and that you know the lot there was a lot of publications in in India in sixty I think in sixty seven um, there was a few newspapers that ran Beatles stories um, specifically for that market but it, what's strange is that the when the Beatles arrived there in sixty six it, it was like Beatlemania completely it was you know they were just um, they were just troubled all the time and that there was fans absolutely everywhere and of course we got that George that George interview that had never been broadcast, had never been listened to rather since it was um, broadcast in 66, where the Beatle mask slips quite a bit in that, and he's quite stroppy about, you know, being hassled all the time by people. So mm. it's sort of a very different thing. Right. But they, you'd, be, you'd be shocked if you saw Indian newspapers from that time. They ran ads with, like, Beatle-type figures in them. Um, the, the detail on the reporting is absolutely phenomenal. It's like day by day. If, if anyone goes anywhere or leaves leaves and he leaves the hotel for you know 10 seconds it's all covered all the time they're being tracked all the time and you can see that in the ashram as well the amount of photographers um and pressmen that's standing outside the ashram you see you know continuously in the in the archive footage i really i, I love the fact that mal evans is sent out to talk to them you know this is a guy who was a, a post office engineer you know five years before and he's facing the world's media in india so it's quite a strange parallel. Mm -hmm. So let's go to Ken, see what Ken has to uh, ask, and then we'll come around again. Okay, I, I think in some ways you may have partly answered this question, but I wanted to bring up the fact that I'm sure that you're aware that two years ago, there was another documentary that came out on the Beatles yeah. in India that Paul Saltzman did. Yeah. And in addition to that, Mark Lewison, was interviewed for that documentary. He's in yours. It's always a joy to, to hear from Mark. What would you say, how would you differentiate the two documentaries? Um, well, Paul's one, we, we were involved in that in the in early days now of that documentary. Um, and we kind of went in different paths in him because it, it became more of a personal thing for him. And we wanted to expand it and make it much more um, grounded in, in, the, in the actual story. I mean, his is is this a sort of limited story of how he, you know, how he got to how he got there and everything? So ours was more of ex, ex, expanded was the aim we had. Um, luckily, Mark's a very good friend of mine, so it's good that he he uh, he did both he did both documentaries now. I mean, he always adds great well, obviously being the doyen of Beatles uh, writers, but he always adds great weight and factual information. He was he would I know he was amazed the first time when he went to the ashram that kind of uh, blew him away completely. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know Pete. Do you know Pete Schruders, the Dutch? Um, yes. Yes. I know. 
Yeah, so Pete went with us. He did he he's the guy that engineered all the then and nows in it. And he he spent like three days there, like you know, pacing up and down, pacing out distance, everything. So he I think there'll be a Ferrari soon with you know the most detailed map of the uh, ashram. There's there's a map, there's a map of the ashram in the DVD extras where we we show where each place is. But he was vital for those then and now sections in the film, which are, you know, where the film dissolves from uh, nineteen sixty eight into modern day. So he's, you know, well, if you know him well, he's, he's on sun elevation and trees and that. And things. He always he always uses trees to to locate photos, which he did. He he found this is of interest. The, the famous group shot, you know, the the group shot of Maharishi and all the followers, would be impossible to find nowadays. And he found it from a, a black and white photo that someone had, and the tree in the background gave away completely the location. And the location, I don't know if you know the, the current, you know, current footage, there's lots of meditation pods, like little, little domes. Um, and they weren't there in 1968, they were a 1970s edition. So you would get no sense of where that big space was for all those people to be in the picture. And he, he found it brilliantly. So he's an incredible on. location guy, you know, I mean, yes. oh, he yeah. sent me pictures of the Beatles saying, you know, if you count eight cobble steps to the left of his shoe, that's where the <laughs> photographer was standing. Yeah, <laughs> he, was, he was disappointed when we were matching the shot of, um, of uh, Paul and Ringo and the wives coming across that bridge. Um, he knew that it would have been taken in the afternoon because of the at sun elevation. It was like, I, I think it was quarter to four. We had, we had to do it in the morning. We only got permission to film in the morning. So I think he was quite disappointed. But I don't think it worked. Well, he noticed the difference. I don't know if anyone else would. So, But he is a perfectionist. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Can you think... say... Sorry. Yeah, Can you on. say between the, the film footage and the photos, you know, I'm going back and forth questioning, have I seen this before? Not really being sure. Uh, yeah. But how much has never actually been shown before? Okay, so one bit is obviously the, the well, it might not be too obvious. The John and the John and George interview at Bangor, you know, when they're they're all um, shaken up by Brian's death in there. We found some someone that filmed that an eight millimeter from a, from a, another angle, and it's we cut that into the film. So every time there's a flash gun that keeps going off, so we cut the color bits into it. But I think that's for all Beatles. Um, Beatles connoisseurs, probably. Um, the, obviously, the, the um, Leo McKern home movie, the Help home movie, which, you know, just disappeared once they were sold. Um, it's just good to, it was good to find, you know, to get, make that those were available. So we, we decided to go with them. And the 64 Bel Air um, meet and greet, August 64, you know, the, um, the charity thing, Capitol Records and that. So I've never seen that in colour at all. I found that in a, in an archive, and it was a, it was a, someone, there's a woman that filmed it, and she double exposed the film. So you get the Beatles, and it keeps jumping out the frame. Then you get horses, someone riding a horse across it. So it's quite, quite strange. Um, and there's all there's other lot um, other little bits as well, but those those are the sort of main sections. It's always the first I question. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's always the first I, question um, yeah. when you when you're doing a Beatles film. A the first question from anyone that's going to buy it you know, to, to screen it and that is, has it got Beatles music? Answer, no. And then the next question is always, uh, what is there any new footage in it? So on this, we could say, yes, there is new footage. And not be One right. thing that I, hadn't, that I hadn't seen before, and forgive me if it, it was in a Joy's book, but um, 
you had mentioned, and, and I didn't realize that after there was a birthday party for Patty Harrison, and after that, the Beatles rehearsed and jammed on the roof yeah. of one of the bungalows there. And there's a couple of photos, one from John and one from George that I hadn't seen before. You know, had, had that been made available before? Um, yeah, I can't, remember where we, I can't remember where we got those from. Um, I know the ones you mean. It's a, it's a thing with photo archives as well. If it's the Beatles, they'll, they'll, they'll be found a lot of, there's a lot of photos that just never get seen because um, like lazy researchers and that, you know, they'll, they'll just go in and they'll just choose, it's almost like a pile of, say a pile of photos and they'll just choose the same old ones from the top. Mm -hmm. I found some remarkable mm -hmm. photos of the Beatles, just fantastic. Um, yeah. Which we need to do another documentary to air them in, I think. Yeah, but it's, there, there's a lot out there. Definitely. I just want to find one that Mark hasn't seen. That's that's the that's the challenge. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. But. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so actually, the Beatles actually they did a, a rooftop performance before Apple. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, there's a, a, <laughs> when you go on that roof, it's it's a pretty magical place. I mean, it's the, you think what went on, on on that roof, and the the, the photos are fairly limited. Most, a lot of the rooftop photos are taken um, at Maharishi's um, bungalow. Because that was completely secluded, so there was no that no one else was sort of allowed on there. It's just the Beatles and wives, etc. Um, so the ones that were taken on the on their on their roof, their bungalow roof, are a bit rarer. So there's um, Dennis O'Dell. There's quite a few in his book um, when he went to visit them. He took quite a few photos on the roof. But the guy in the film, Nick Nugent, you know, he was a B he. He he was um, a student then, but he became um, a BBC Indian correspondent. So he. He really knew he's very sort of factual on what he says and that so it's just that he doesn't obviously didn't know what they were actually uh if they were writing songs up there or not difficult to tell but for him yeah. to get that magic pass in there you know it was a bluff as well that it, again we don't explain that in the film but um he got in there because he went in as like an instrument carrier so there's like four of them they all, all carried one instrument each just to get into the into the compound so it's a great one. interesting yeah. Since you mentioned the movie Help, one yeah. of the things that I found interesting that I didn't know before was that people in India were offended by the way that, you know, the, the Indians in the film were portrayed, the stereotypes. Yeah. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, no, that was new on me. A joy, uh, that's very much from a joy. Um, and I think it's really true. It's, it's, it's got every Indian cliche you can think of, you know, like the one I always love is the, um, when one of the, the um, staff in the, in the restaurant goes down to lie on a bed of nails. That's just such a, you know, to relax to rest a bit. That's such a, such a cliche. Um, mm. Just like, yeah, just the whole thing. I don't know. I mean, it's still good. It's, it's not one of those films that's been suppressed in that, although it doesn't appear that often on British television, it doesn't appear the hard days night is on much more than others. I'm right. sure it wouldn't survive now. And, and as Joy said, you know, the, uh, the goddess in it is very close to a real Indian goddess. So, um, sure. Kaili. Who knows? But that, yeah, that was a new angle on me. And I, I, I can quite understand it as well. I think he's probably, um, I think he's probably right. Yeah, well. it's, it's, it's interesting. You never stop to think how the people in India reacted to that. Yeah. So used to the rest of the world loving the Beatles and their whole persona. And their sense of humor and that kind of just goes right by them yeah did, that's did you true. take help to be as being like that the religion being centered in india i i took it as being some um nondescript unidentified place in the mysterious east i, I didn't really think of it as india 
per se. I think it's a yeah. It's a lot of it is I think because they're uh, they're they're turbaned as well. That's yeah. that's a very English viewpoint of India and that. And, and there's a few English character actors in it as well. Um, who like the guys outside the Indian restaurant? They're all done up as like Indian Indians that, and they're like they've got East End Cockney accents. You know, <laughs> so you've got that you've got that sort of element to it. It's still a great film. I I think it's in my top ten of all time, definitely. It's my favorite Beatle film, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm ahead. Of, I'm with you on that. I'm ahead. Of, yeah, I think it, I prefer it to Hard Days. I could watch it many times. I've always wondered if it is if they divert from the script. I've been reliably told that is the script. So they're not, although they're quite stoned at times. They are sticking to a script. So it is a really good script. Then. Fantastic. Oh yeah, the cinematography was amazing. Yeah. In help, you know. Yeah. You can watch yeah. them on on the out the skiing scene, which they yeah. get to ride. Every day of my life, <laughs> never get yeah, yeah. tired of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me pass you over to Darren. All right, and help turned probably at least for me. I maybe speak maybe for all of us turned us all onto curling for the first time. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Peter, I, I have to say that that I'm, I'm I'm amazed that after all of these decades, all this time has passed. When you thought you read it all, you saw it all, you know it all, um, that there are still stories to be told. Um, and I think Peter Jackson's Get Back opened up so many windows uh, to a world that we thought we knew for so many years. Yeah. And we really didn't. And your entire team with the Beatles in India should be commended for opening up another world this aspect of the Beatles and the connection to India more than as we said at the top of the show more than just visiting with the Maharishi and sitars popping up in some of the songs there's yeah. so much more there um so it was just a, 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 a what's the expression a mouth-opening experience for me watching the film seeing all of this and having these different these different um uh, events in Beatle history connected like help. If the Beatles discovering the sitar during the filming of help and George hooking up with Ravi Shankar and then that period following the Beatles touring um, 1966 we know that where George uh, John went off and filmed How I Won the War uh, we kind of knew about George going to India but here we're really getting a, a vivid picture that George and Patty went there and they were both totally uh, enamored with the entire country. And, and I mean, the influence that it had um, just from that trip in September of 66 is enormous. Again, things that you discover watching your film, um, yep. you know, there was a moment early in the film that I thought was the first fascinating fact that I learned that George Harrison's mother listened to Indian music. Yeah. This is in the early 1940s, I'm assuming, although it doesn't have to be uh, when she was pregnant with George, but there is a statement made where George's mom listened to Indian music on the radio uh, and it helped calm her during her pregnancy. Of yeah. course, you're gonna draw all kinds of lines. If, she, if, she, if, if they're talking about being pregnant with George, 
well, if you believe that, you know, your influence from when you're in the womb. Exactly, yeah. You know, you pointed out another fascinating thing about specifically George Harrison in this film. Yeah, this this was a, there was a lot of Indian um, servicemen in Britain in during World War II after about 1941. So this was a program on the BBC. Um, and it was, a, it was a special half hour program, Sunday mornings, 10, 13, it was music for Indian servicemen. Um, and I wanted to use some of that music in the, in the film to illustrate that section, but it was, it's quite unbearable to listen to. It would have, it would have killed that section stone dead. Um, so it's very sort of deep, um, not classical Indian, but very strange Indian music, very alien to Western ears. Um, but that story comes from um, his mother's sister, so it was interviewed. I can't remember who did the interview, but that, that's that's where it's from. And it's uh, yeah, generally thought that was, that that happened. So we just thought it's most you know how far back can we go with the Indian with the Indian influence? So that you can't get much, much further, further back, back than, than that. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was that was a good one to uh, kick off with, definitely. Uh, there's also mention of George um, of George making um, his trip to India several months before the Beatles did. For the recording sessions that ended up being uh, the Wonderwall music album and the uh, backing track, or not the backing track, the uh, yeah backing track to uh, the Inner Light, um, and you do touch on a little bit on the connection between the Indian musicians who played on the sessions and how George uh, came into contact with some of them. Yeah, um, I always think that the. Every week you learn something new about the Beatles, I always do. So the, the, my, my learn of last week was that um, there's a new, there's a Ravi Shankar biography that's come out, a definitive Shankar biography. So A, I've been reading it, A, he recorded Abbey Road um, five years before the Beatles. I never knew that at all. Um, but even better, Basker Menon, who went on to become um, chairman of Capitol Records and that, he started working at Abbey Road on that day for the Ravi Shankar session as like an apprentice at Abbey Road. So his link, so I'm getting there to Wonderful. They only had a two-track machine in, in Bombay and Basker Menon was EMI's representative in India at that time. And he, he was on the other side of India um, and George says, no, you can only, I have to have a four-track to record this. It has to be in stereo. So he had to load up a, a four-track machine and travel across India by train to deliver, to deliver the four-track to H&B Studios. So it's quite amazing. And we did, we did go inside the studios. Um, but there was nothing there. It, 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 we went up to the four, we went up to the fourth floor, so the building's still there. It's still got the H and V concrete logos outside, um, and the security guard showed us loads of um, seventy-eight H and V seventy-eights, like in boxes everywhere. But there's no there was no Beatles seventy-eights, unfortunately. Um, but this it, it, it just wasn't worth filming the room. It, it's just completely gutted, you know. It'll be just a lot of old boxes and that, and it's it's now a uh, insurance offices. But you, George always complained, didn't he, about those sessions that you can hear that you can hear the traffic in the background because it's not that well soundproofed in that. Right. Um, and it's really true. You really can. It's in a really busy part of um, Mumbai or Bombay. Uh, through Paul Saltzman's presentations and his books and uh, his stories about being with the Beatles in India, you get the impression that it was a very, very private event. Um, but there's so much footage from cameramen who are inside with the Beatles as well, or yeah. um, 
shed some light on who these was it just media types and and this is footage that uh, that you gathered i mean who was doing all of this filming well, of of the events of the beatles at that time yeah a lot of the, the a lot of the film a lot of the color footage that we've got is was taken it was quite open to sort of um journalists and that before the beatles get there so you, you get you see them building you know getting the um buildings together and that and um, you know, bricklaying scenes and that, and you get that reporter that walks around the walks around the ashram, and that's from that was he went there in September '67. That's when the Beatles were due to go there, isn't it? And they 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 had to delay it because of Epstein's death. So when he walks around and he shows the beds and everything, um, the footage inside, yeah, that's that's um, that's just sort of general stuff that we found. I mean, the the real. Um, the real killer is obviously the the Beatles have all got Bolex cameras, which was like you know that was the state of the art camera at that time, um, and it was disappointing. Well, it was disappointed me, not for anyone else. And get back when Paul has that sequence about India, you know, when he shows his really artistic um, footage that he shot. So there was there wasn't much. Obviously, there's the Italian the Italian television footage, the black and white footage, which I think everyone's probably seen when they go down to the beach, etc., um, and they're all singing songs and that. And uh, everything else, everything else, I think's been has come from come from some other source that's been around. And obviously, we couldn't use that. We're not going to be able to use the uh, Apple material. But I've been told there's a lot more of that. There's a lot of Indian material because they were filming. They filmed everything that moved basically um, when they were there. That's fascinating. And the the the, the scenes down by. Uh... I guess they were, was that at the Ganges? Yeah, by the Ganges, yeah, down the hill, yeah. Was what yeah. I had in mind thinking, because if I had seen some of that footage, I didn't re I didn't remember it. Yeah. Uh, this is fascinating that so much more was 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 documented, was covered, was preserved of the Be of the Beatles' time there. Um, and then you were alluding to this early on, there's that scene with, I, I think it was Mia Farrow at the shoreline. Oh, yeah. On the rock into that exact spot today. That's a classic bit of Pete Schroeder's, the man that, yeah. the man that and, finds and the rock. It looks exactly the same. Yeah, it does. It is exactly the same. Yeah. He, even though, he he we couldn't we couldn't get to the bit where they sit in the on that black and white footage because the Ganges has like moved over a bit. So mm -hmm. we couldn't get it. So we a lot of other a lot of people might have faked that and that, but Pete well, Pete wouldn't have any of that. So that's it. So we we kept it as it was. I think with the footage as well, that all this stuff only appeared later. I think I, I don't remember when I was, I was eight, uh, oh, was it? yeah, I was, I was 12 when that, when all this happened. I don't remember any of it being on the news or anything like that. You know, it's all, it's all come out much later than that. The only, the only news item I can remember is that very British newsreel that we had where um, it's the, you know, the very chirpy British commentator about, you know, the come to meet the Maharishi and that. It's all, it's all very jokey, the whole thing. It's got that great shot of John pretending to limp across. He's walking through the, the trees and he starts limping because he knows the cameras are watching him. That's great. Alan, back to you. Okay. Um, I assume from the, um, what you've said in passing a couple of times, not using Beatles music, not having access to the Beatles footage, that um, Apple did not cooperate in any way with this or did they? Um, we've done a few films in the park. We did a film on Sergeant Pepper. The answer to that is no, they, they, you can do what you want. You could write to them and say you're doing this film, but they, they, they don't want to know, which is understandable. I mean, um, that's the problem. I don't think they'd ever, 
adopt a film in that. I don't even know if, um, you know, if, um, if I would sure that Donny Harrison would be very keen to hear his father's interview in that. We've got the whole interview. It's about 12 minutes long. Yeah. Um, but you just never know. It's, I'd, it's, I'd have thought that given, uh, you know, George's interest in this and yeah. Patty's interest in keeping his, um, you know, artistry and everything else alive, that that Patty would have been a good ally in here for this. Um, and yeah, uh, I think so. I don't know how much. Yeah, she's she's still totally in contact. And I mean, she we when we launched the film in November in Spain, um, the film company invited her out. So we had about had about three days with her. We did like lots of press and everything. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't. She, I know she was at the Get Back premiere in London for her very brief appearance in Get Back, the extremely mm. brief appearance in Get Back. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, yeah, I think some companies, a lot of people think, oh, you know, is Paul McCartney in here or is Ringo in? No, you know, that, that's not going to happen at all. You know, you you wouldn't even make the approach. It's uh, all going to be, it's Apple, isn't it? So that's it. So yeah, uh, what more can I say? Um, to get back to a, a little bit of the beginning about the Beatles, um, the way they were received in India, one thing I found really kind of interesting is that everybody was talking about their harmonies. Um, and when I, I wrote Ravi Shankar's obit for the Times, and when I was researching that, I, I found a long interview that um, Ravi's brother, I guess Uday Shankar, did with the Times Magazine. And in it, he was talking um, actually very dismissively about Western music. And he was saying, you know, basically in Indian music, it's melody and rhythm, harmony, we don't care about. We, we like, that to us is baby talk, you know. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and so it kind of it kind of struck me that the Beatles harmonies was, was one thing that several people mentioned as as the thing that that appealed to them. Yeah, it's it, it, everything's delayed in India as well. Like that that whole um, those the savages who we interview and in that it, it's like the beats the beat era comes to India like sixty eight sort of late era sixty eight sixty nine. So they're they're sort of formed in that period, but they're a lot of their sound is like um, British Invasion to you or, or, or beat to us, you know. And then in the film we use, the, the, there's an explosion of psychedelia in about 1972, you get 73 in India and Pakistan, you get all these records that all that all sound like, um, uh, you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, they're all like backwards tapes. This is in like the early 70s. So it's a, it's a sort of slight delay throughout. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know what the answer to that is on the harmonies. Yeah, they do. They do like it. We interviewed a, uh, someone at a couple of other bands as well. So um, the same thing, but obviously we couldn't fit it all in the in the show. Mm -hmm. um, and Darren referred to George and Patty's September '66 visit, um, but I think that the Beatles stopped over. Did they stop over on the way back from Japan and the Philippines? That's the right. Yeah, that's the yeah June '66. Yeah, when they go to the, both those two music shops. Yeah. And they were actually there for several days. It wasn't just a layover. Yeah, people, th it's often quite as a layover, but they, they went out of Delhi. I know that because George took quite a few photos. They went to like villages and that. So I think that, that and that's what, you know, they saw the real India. They weren't in that hotel the whole period. So um, it's that always just been unusual for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's usually just portrayed as them having instruments, you know, in the hotel. There's those pictures of them in the hotel rooms and that, where mm. they've been shown all the different instruments. Um, but it's amazing that the shops are still there. I mean, it's just incredible. The uh, 
the Ricky Ram shop is a fantastic place because obviously he, he was he was making all the sitars for Shanko as well, the, the guy's father. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just you know, amazing instruments, like ivory inlays and everything. I mean, he had he had a wealth of stories we could use. Like Peter Sellers was. Did you know Peter Sellers was learning? It was a sitar, learning to play a sitar at that time. I never knew that. And this picture's been with um, guitar with sitars from Rabbi, um, from Ricky Ram's shop. Incredible. I don't think being Peter Sellers, he probably didn't stick it very long, but uh, yeah, he was he was on board with that. And we were, there's that film, The Guru. I don't know if you know that film with Michael York. Um, that came out, which is almost the story of George, came out in 69. It's an American film, filmed in India. Mm. Um, and it's it's basically like, you know, someone going to the, it's going to a pop star going to discover himself in India. And it's got, yeah, lots of parallels. I think George visited the set, amazingly, in 69. There's a picture of him with Michael York and that, um, playing, well, posing with sitars together. Worth seeking out. I think it's on, I think it's on YouTube. It's well worth seeing. Definitely. What's the what's the title again? It's called the Guru, I think. It don't mix it up with the uh, the the other film um, that came out. There's another there's a film recently called the Guru, but it is on there. Yeah, it's well, well worth it's a merchant merchant ivory's first film. Oh. Incredible, yeah, yeah. Um, you talk a lot in the film. Well, not a lot, but um, <laughs> enough about yeah. the um, conflict between the Beatles wanting to film to do a film of Maharishi and um, there was another company uh, that also wanted to do a film awesome. and Maharishi right. had said yes to both and yeah. this upset the Beatles and the implication in the film is that that was a major reason they left. Yeah. Do you think it was the major reason? Well I think so yeah you, again in the film you see the uh, the George and Paul trip to uh, Sweden to, to, to that was in I think that was in mm. November it's no, yeah, November '67. So that they try, they go there to cool off the Maharishi. So he's, he's you know, that they, they think they got word about a film being made, and that's so they fly out there um, and do that great interview with the Swedish guy with the with the flowers and everything. Um, and it is just to cool off the cool off the Maharishi. So I, I think when it when it resurfaces again, uh, you know, in that later period in uh, in the ashram, I think that's a kind of clincher. And that's with uh, Four Star, I think, yeah. Um, so there, I think while John and George were there, I think there were some executives that arrived when they when they were there in those in those dying days, those sort of desperate last few weeks when they looked really washed out all the time. In that, so looked nothing like they did when they when they arrived there in February. So um, for me, the interesting thing is like what contributed more towards them leaving their irritation at. Maharishi dealing with both them and Four Star Film on the film project, or the dreaded Magic Alex, famous charlatan, yeah. um, uh, coming by and working out this deal with uh, another one of the people taking the course to go to the Maharishis and scream and all that, you know. Um, that at least seemed to be the immediate cause of them leaving, but do you feel that that's... Um, overstated by people like me <laughs> uh no i, th I think Majelle said what's very disappointing is we actually have, there's no photos of magic alex in the ashram and mm. we tracked down this guy that had he had footage of magic alex in the ashram very brief but it is him with patty and they were on a boat probably in about the last week of march i think um and we couldn't get we couldn't get a deal with him um to mm. show it and he and he looks <laughs> 
he looks quite sinister there. I mean, he's with all the women. In fact, there's no there's no other Beatles on this boat. So um, I think I'm I'm more in the Magic Alex camp. I think yeah, of, uh, he's the originator. Now, having you know, you spoken to Patsy about it as well. I mean, it kind of it kind of passed her by. She was you know, she was getting his hearsay as well. So, but if you you probably had Susan Chumsey on as well. I mean, she's got in, pretty insider knowledge of right. Maharishi and um, the women at that time. And as it yeah. says in the film, you know, he like he liked to be photo he liked to be photographed with um, the good looking girls in there. And that, that we had that photo, I think, in the film, which underlines that the uh, the less look good looking girls are in the back, and he's surrounded by the good ones. So. Okay. So I've no idea. There, there needs to be a Maharishi documentary. Absolutely, no doubt about that. So mm -hmm. I think. I mean, I was shocked to find that um, Howard that advert for his you know touring America, you know, um, doing things at Howard. It was at Howard Johnson's, and you saw that in the film. There's a little ad for Maharishi here tonight, and that, and he promises levitation and uh, all in a Howard Johnson somewhere in the Midwest. You know. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ken. All right. Since you mentioned the savages, this is going to be an odd question. I hope you yeah. can clarify this for me because there's an interview in there with Carl Douglas. Now, this is the Carl Douglas who did Kung Fu Fighting. No, this is the interview with is with Bidu, who was the producer of that record. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I had it confused. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that's Bidu. So he he became um, he. Well, as you as you see in the film, he headed west while the Beatles were heading east. Um, and what's what the great story with Bidu is that the again, the opening of the film, that song at the beginning of the film is Bidu's um, first recording. He he arrived in London in late '67, I think. Got a publishing deal. Then he went into a studio um, and recorded that song. Now the amazing thing about that song is um, playing on that song. Are it's Jimmy Page and uh, John Paul Jones are on that. Obviously, session men at the time. Um, yeah. John McLaughlin is playing guitar on that, and Nicky Hopkins as well. And and it's produced by Tony Visconti, so he couldn't get a better start, really. In wow! So, yeah, incredible. And it's a great song as well. I mean, we couldn't really hide. We couldn't. We couldn't put on the screen who's playing on this, etc. So, but um, yeah, it's uh, his story. His story is great as well. Fantastic. Hmm. Okay. There's a couple of quotes I want to bring up here that I found interesting and they're, they're very, some of them are fairly simple, but they're kind of powerful. Uh, George Harrison saying Indian music has more freedom than jazz, which I found to be really interesting. And, um, you know, I don't know, can you enlighten us since, you know, we've all listened to Indian music, but I haven't studied it myself. How much of Indian music is really structured and disciplined and how much of it is improvised? Would you be able to uh, clear that? No, Joy, Joy would be the man to tell you that. I think definitely. Okay. I, I never know. I never know about. I never. It's, it's so difficult in the music. Oh, you have to go by. Um, is it is it Monterey Pop when Ravi's tuning up and people start tuning? People start applauding. Uh, it's a concert from Bangladesh, <laughs> yeah. right? Bangladesh. Yeah, just make that announcement. Yeah, I'm only tuning up. No. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that one. Okay. Um, also, the Maharishi in observing the Beatles said that George was the most advanced of the Beatles and that this was his last life. And I found that interesting that he, he picked that up on George. Obviously, George was so into learning about Indian music and Indian culture, but just to think if, you, if you're you know, following 
the whole theory of uh you know having many lives coming yeah. back from you know from from past lives and everything that george was the closest to i guess reaching god and that you know the maharishi observed that yeah i think um i think it's 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 the uh like the the connection with ravi i mean that's the as someone says in the film you know it, it is the most incredible connection that that's so different i mean george you know i think he was apprentice electrician wasn't he? and ravi shankar was like international renowned um indian music player and that and they they meet and instantly become click and become you know the greatest friends ever in that it's just an, an amazing part of the story most definitely how do you explain that i mean I, there's one interview where george is saying that in some ways he's like a father to ravi yeah you know yeah um it's difficult. I mean, Shankar Angadi, the Asian music circle, the one that was there at the introduction, the dinner and that, he he, he didn't say in the film, but he did tell us that he, they were shocked at how it was like they were old friends almost straight away. So perhaps the reincarnation story, perhaps they met in a previous incarnation. So who knows? But they, throughout the film, if you see them together, they're so at ease with each other. Like on the Cabot show, um, you know, they, they when Dick Cavett makes that joke and that, and George defends him straight away, like almost like a son with a father in that, you know, he won't tolerate, he won't tolerate any sort of gags or anything like that about Ravi. So it's great. And Ravi always appears as, you know, the total gentleman, completely. Hmm. You know, in, in bringing out this whole story of how Indian music is being heard by, you know, Western culture. And I found it really interesting that you found a clip of, Keith Relf yeah. interviewing Ravi Shankar. And where did that come from exactly? Uh, that was a that was a pop show on the BBC from 66. As you probably you probably know that the BBC specialised in wiping all their videotapes and use them all again. Um, <laughs> and luckily someone kept that one. There's a lot of stuff that's turning up now where um, producers or directors kept their own their own copy of it. So that, that's one that yeah, that's one that turned up um, just a couple of years back. But there was a, that was a whole series. There's, I think there's one with Townsend as well. Townsend interviewed Stroppy, a Stroppy Townsend interview. But there's probably about forty of those shows, and that's that's all that exists. Just that one, which mm. is a real shame. Really, um, you mentioned yeah. Susan Shumsky, yeah, and she did say that the Maharishi influenced the Beatles' music. And obviously, you're going to go with the George Harrison songs like "Within You, Without You," and love you too in the inner light but she also mentioned and it's pretty obvious with across the universe with using jai guru dev in there but she also gave credit to songs like hello goodbye and i am the walrus i mean do you agree that that was influenced by yeah i think the so they, they, yeah they've got that like incantation sound on it you know the, the, where um the, the phrases just repeated all the time so I, I can see where that comes from definitely um, but yeah, she picks. She says that yeah, if you if you spent day to day with Maharishi, she did. You can understand all his intonations and in that as well. So they kind of took some inspiration from the way he spoke as well. Hmm. That sort of gentle, the gentleness that he has. Interesting. Hmm. So I think there are I think there's elements there definitely. Yeah, it helps you to listen to these songs in a different way, because yeah. part of me when I hear "Hello Goodbye," I just think it's pure pop. To me. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's yeah. I suppose the hey la hey hello, yeah, is well, it's Hawaiian, mm. but so uh, yeah, I think there could be a connection there, definitely. Right. 
Okay. Um, let's go back to Darren. Alrighty. Um, I wanted to ask you about the, the ashram today, uh, what I really enjoyed about the film and um, Ken and Alan can attest to this because I always talk about things like this. I find it so fascinating to be able to go back to a site where yeah. something, it doesn't even have to be, no, a site where something significant took place and to see it today and to go, oh, he stood there, this happened there. You know, we got yeah. that um, sort of with the Get Back film where we really got a lot of attention on the physical roof and this, you know, you got to see how things were laid out and where things were recorded that we'd been hearing on album for for 50 some odd years. Here in your film, you actually take us to the ashram today. Uh, it's, no, it's no secret that it, it, it's fallen uh, into ruins over the years uh, and was, I think, supposed to be uh, demolished uh, at one point. That's what I think I had heard, but they didn't clearly. Yeah, it's well. The the irony is that yeah, if you if you're going to go on Beatle history in the UK, like the theatres they played at and buildings they were connected with, a lot of them are just disappearing faster than that. Yeah, in India, a place that was like knocked up overnight, like almost like a you know jerry built place, literally, um, is still standing. That's that for me. That's the incredible thing, and. A lot of this is down to the park ranger who's interviewed there. He, he, um, it was completely overgrown. The jungle had like reclaimed everything, you know, overgrown. Him and a team of um, a team of assistants. They spent about five years cutting every, all the vegetation back completely. Um, and a, there's a local journalist who who got the local council there to start making it a tourist destination. And that so it's it's very out of the way. I mean, it's you know six hours from Delhi. And by train and when we filmed there well when we the whole time we spent filming there about a week probably um you there was hardly anyone there at all it's that's uninterrupted we there's a few americans a few americans there turned up in that like real fanatical beatles fans um but little else it's, it's more expensive westerners to enter indians go in at a special rate and that but i think that there's just they haven't really, there's just not nothing much there at all. They've just got a sign outside all the places. They don't show films. It's not like a sort of modern day attraction that you get, you know, to entice people to come. But I suppose that's the magic of it, really. That it's all there. You can walk up those steps onto the roof of the bungalow. That's, you know, for me, that's just fantastic. Mm -hmm. And people get confused by the, you know, Maharishi added a lot onto it in the 70s. He built a massive hotel, which is still there, derelict hotel. Um, and as I said, those the meditation pods, which appear, if anyone talks about the ashram now or film on YouTube, all you see is those incredible um, pods on top of the hotel and that with all the graffiti designs. But I was determined not to film any graffiti there at all. I just think that destroys it, you know, all those Sergeant Pepper paintings and all that sort of thing. I just wanted to keep to see what it looked like originally. But it was completely looted. Yeah, once Maharishi went, his lease ran out, so he had, he had to leave. Um, and everything was looted, all the, everything was taken, like the baths, all the fittings, etc. But there's still, you know, there's still little bits left in there. There's still a toilet here and there, original toilet in different places. And the Maharishi's bungalow is, yeah, the, was the most luxurious. And I think it's got air, had air conditioning, um, and it's got a basement and everything. That that was the sort of the place. So the Beatles was quite Spartan, really. Um, and all of their 
each of the four Beatles individual bungalows still stands. Yeah, I, it was, it's very much like yeah, very much like help. They they probably all went in through the all, all through the the four doors next to each other in that. So you've got help recreated, you know, when they're in the in the high street in the in the terraced houses when they all go into the same. Well, they don't go into the same room there. But yeah, so it's great, and the, 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 it's good to the um, the part ranger, um, the part ranger with uh, God. Who was it who came to uh, who came out there? Um, Prue, yeah, Prudence Farrow was at, Prudence Farrow visited the first time a month before we got there, and she took him round the entire site, and she obviously remembered everything. She pointed out that for the very first time, Mark was very Mark was very delighted to find this out. She she located each room of of that of the block and that so where everyone was for the first time ever we know who was in each bit so that was great so again I, um, pete Truders will definitely be putting that in his mapping definitely so we'll see that we'll see that soon i'm looking forward to uh to see all that because no again it's never been it's never been scrutinized that whole site so it's just um it's a you know fascinating place to go and what if you can if you can get there believe me it's worth going to well, if there are any adventurous beetle fans watching who yeah. want to look into making it a, a truck like that where does one turn yeah you do you we, the, you can get the train which is an experience and a half um but you can fly there now so we flew there the second time we you can fly from delhi it's not that long it's about an hour long flight something like that and there's an airport now at Dehradun, which is the main the main town north of the ashram and that George wrote the song about it, Derudun, Derudun, yeah. Um, so that would be the way to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you and you would get your you can get a, you can probably get a guide there as well, I would imagine, something like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a place to tick off the uh, bucket list without a, absolutely without a doubt. If you're a Beatles fan, you'll get the you'll get the full force of it when you go there. And of course, the you know, the Ganges is still flowing past that. So it's exactly how they would have heard that. That beautiful rushing, you know, gushing sound of the Ganges. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I'm sounding like the Indian tourist board now, but yeah. This um, I'm not it's sure how much of, of the music you were involved in, but there's you know, we talked briefly about the fact there's no Beatles music in here. Yeah. But I, I have here and I and I also have to compliment uh, the album. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it's um <clears throat> it's a double album and you get uh, what essentially is the soundtrack, the score. Yeah, one disc, but you get uh, on the first disc um, a complete redo by some of today's top Indian musicians. Yes, of the yeah. songs, <clears throat> mostly from that period, from '68. There's a couple of exceptions here and there, um, and it's it's almost a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it is a, a necessary part of the whole experience if you get to see the film. To make sure you have this as well. My copy, yeah. I'll say it again. My copy's printed backwards, although you say it's forwards, though, right? <laughs> it appears forwards. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, right. I, For me, I, mine are all backwards messages on mine. Ha -ha. <laughs> uh, but um, tell us a little bit about the score and who uh, wrote the music and did all of the score for the film. Okay, so the score, yeah, it carries on the Beatles tradition because it was done, we did it at Abbey Road Studio 2. Um, it was recorded there, and the, the, Indi the Indian elements were recorded in India. So we we did it at Abbey Road Studio too, which was an experience and a half as well. That was fantastic. Um, and it's a, a guy called Benji Merrison who um, who watched the film and that, and and he brought in he brought in all those sort of elements to the film. Didn't over we didn't want to overdo it with uh, 
overladen with tablets and all that sort of thing. So he, he created a more subtle approach to the whole thing. And I think it blends it blends really well. I think it's, it captures everything. There's a bit of George Harrison style guitar playing on it. Mm -hmm. um, and the other part of the album, the songs inspired by um, those Indian musicians, I mean, all, they, they appear at the end of the film, um, a lot of them, you know, talking about how Beatle music lives on for them and how they discovered it. Um, and they were just given free reign, really. They were, we just let them get on with it. You know, they, we told them the song we'd like them to do and they just went away and did it. So, I mean, it's great to have Anushka Shankar doing um, Inner Light because she's right, yeah. fantastic embellishments. And uh, there's quite, I think it's a really listenable album. It's just very, oh, very much it is. Yeah, yeah, very different. It's just completely. And, and the treat is that, I mean, the final track on the soundtrack. India. Uh, is yeah. India, India. Yeah. Which is the John Lennon song that, um, well, it came. It has since been released, but is a quote-unquote unreleased Lennon uh, composition that uh, we get here, and we hear "Child of uh, Nature," which became "Jealous Sky." Just two of the treats on yeah. this album. Um, if I if I put you on the spot and I say there was something that you learned that you didn't anticipate stumbling into when making this film, uh, what would that one oh my moment for you be something you didn't expect to learn or find out about or well of course if you ex expected to find out about it that doesn't make sense um something that you uh that was a surprise to you uh in yeah. this film that like uh was that one moment that made it all worth it for you i for me i think it was the um i mentioned before about uh, george um, enjoying going for afternoon tea in that in a, in a hotel, and I, I for me that it's been it's been reinforced by Get Back. There's just the there's no delusions of grandeur. They're just they're just open with ordinary people all the time. You know, like in Get Back, the tea lady gets welcomed, and that, and uh, Mal Evans helps along with the lyrics. You know, and, and McCartney sort of goes along with it. So I think it's the same with India. Everyone we spoke to, it's just it's the total. Um, niceness of them and that you know they 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 interacted with absolutely everybody and i think that's that's something that's obviously missing from stage music well that would that would never happen but i think that it is probably it was always uh, i always thought that that was the final bit of bonding of the beatles and that you know the, the four of them together um but that's been killed off now by seeing get back because there's so many moments in that where they you know they're hugging each other and that so it's a it, it's it's that sort of world. I think we've illustrated it sort of fairly well in the film and that, you know, just the whole pleasantry of them, of being of being around them. Especially the uh, the house, the how the woman that um, that walks around the derelict buildings and that, and she says about how you know about giving them food and so forth. And they're really respectful. And Ajit Singh, the the um, the guy that organised the uh, instruments and that at the different parties. You know, when they're they're calling him sir all the time and says you don't have to call me sir you know they, they're just beholden to him and that when he plays within you without you um and george gives him the thumbs up i mean that's just such a lovely moment fantastic so that for me yeah that's it right across right across the social classes of india completely uh the film ends um with of course the or uh, the uh the nasty controversial ending of the Beatles stay in India yeah. but almost as if uh, it has a happy ending uh, we find out that each Beatle individually um, kind of buried the hatchet with 
uh, the Maharishi. And yeah. ultimately, it has a nice, sweet ending, this story, um, that the Beatles ultimately did enjoy this day, came away with positivity. And it wasn't, you know, a bitter breakup and stayed that way forever. Yeah, that's true. I think the uh, the I think the McCartney interview is revealing on Charlie Rose. Yeah, that he you know he takes his daughter along to see you know maybe he wants to show that he wants to introduce him to Maharishi and that I think that's uh, really relevant. I mean that, that's quite, he talks for quite a bit on that interview. I only used a small section of it, but he went into real detail about the meeting. So you know they were very um, they're very close. I mean you see the Apple press conference and they're quite bitter. They're both John and George yeah. are very. John and Paul are very bitter at that conference. It's like the whole of, uh, it's like the destruction of um, Beatlemania. They're not Mr. Nice Guy with the press anymore. That's, that's you know, comparing, you know, if you see the 66 press conferences, it's the usual, you know, inane questions, et cetera. But then they're, they're quite vicious, aren't they, with the journalists? They don't take any, they don't take anything from them right. at all. So yeah, I would say, I would say kindness, yeah, and niceness, that's a good, uh, a good definition okay back okay so back to the starting point yeah 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 um we should wrap up but we should yeah. um talk first about the um dvd and i, I assume blu-ray too uh home yeah. release what what um what other things besides peach Schroeder's map there's the peach Schroeder's map on it um and there's a there's a good photo um, selection of the shoe and an in, and an interview with the joy in that who would who would mm. be here doing the interview but he's back in Delhi so he, he couldn't do it so you do get about thirty five minutes and he goes into more detailed background on um, how he got the book together and everything when something we didn't touch on the whole uh, KGB thing the Besmanov thing how he right. yeah I mean no one who knew about that as well so he yeah. all that he uncovered as well so but that's another story. Should we, so, yeah. just, should we just say a, a few words about that for viewers or, or have them just watch the film? Yeah, sure. Well, we, I can mention it briefly. Yeah, so it, it, it was in Parliament that came up that, uh, well, first of all, it's supposed to be the CIA that were infiltrating into India. Um, and then um, I think at that time, I think um, in, uh, Indira Gandhi had met with the Russian, the Russian premier that's in the film, isn't it? He, he's on a sort of tour of uh, India. And then it reverses, it's the KGB are there after that. And Besmanov is looking to use Western, Western, Western stars and that to influence as, influ well, influence as being the word that's used today, but in the opposite direction. So that's, that's quite an intriguing section of the film, definitely. It was all new to me, so I didn't know anything about that. The so KGB guy calls, calls uh, Maharishi a charlatan and doesn't get sued by the Maharishi for that. Yeah, right, yeah, that's true, he doesn't do that, yeah. Yeah, that was that was hard to find that footage. It was I've forgotten who we got that from. It was um, it was some sort of right wing. I can't remember who it is now. It was some organisation. Couldn't believe it when we found that. So it's just great. So that wasn't interesting. There there there's so yeah. many interesting things in this film. And anything else to mention about the DVD release or, or Blu-ray? Um, no, that's about that. That's it. Really. The only the only capper I can give you is that the, you know a couple of people have died that we that we interviewed. So we would never have. Uh, their story would never have been told if we hadn't got to them. So I think we've done a sort of service there. Especially the helicopter pilot, he was, he was, when I interviewed him, he was 96, so he died about six months ago. Mm. I mean, finding yeah. him, I think, is is one of the great achievements of the film. Again, that's the Joy Bowes who, who tracked him down. I mean, his story is just great. Although he didn't, he doesn't, 
he doesn't tell you about the meaning of life story that's kind of ruined because he he told me that the, the, you in a plexiglass dome in a helicopter like that you can't have a conversation with anyone it's impossible right. so yeah so that kind of squashed that one completely so i think that's okay. it okay can i ask uh, just a couple questions last yeah, questions sure. here um i noticed that you had the voice of nancy cook de herrera in the film yeah and she was the mother of richard cook for whom bundle of bill was written yeah. about she was the one who advised to shoot the tiger yeah it was the tiger or us and it yeah, says underneath her name it says maharishi publicist yeah she yeah. actually went to work for the maharishi i think she did yeah she she there's a she has written a book or she did write a book she's not with us now but uh, yeah and that's i thought i don't i'd always create what we're gonna what we're gonna define her as and that's that was the definition that was given in the book i think as far as i remember um and she was like she she organized everything you know when i think she met him in america for the first time and she organized everything from she appears a lot in the film i mean she's in the background in a lot of scenes so she's kind of always there like overseeing mm. everything. Interesting thing about her. Um, I, I, I got to know her slightly right. through correspondence because the very day that Magic Alice sued us, I got a letter from her saying, I'm so glad you finally said that it was Magic Alex's fault that the Beatles left India. And, and she was scathing about Mia Farrow, who had also said that Maharishi made a pass at her. Um, and subsequently, when our lawyers went to interview Mia Farrow, she said, you know, I, I think I might have been mistaken about that. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, she, didn't she reverse, yeah, she reversed her, she reversed it, didn't she, yeah. Yeah. But Nancy um, remained involved with not, you know, the Maharishi obviously died eventually, but she remained involved with the um, Transcendental Meditation Foundation or whatever it was called, really for a lot of her life beyond that. Um, and, you know, yeah. stayed active really until pretty much till she died. Yeah, Susan Susan Chomsky told me that told me that a lot of people that appear in the film in the background of Maharishi were you know real long term um, people with him. And that. So there's people that appear throughout the film. There, if Maharishi, if there's someone behind Maharishi. Um, it'll be someone that was very long term with the organisation. Yeah, she said that she was basically the liaison between Maharishi and his famous guests, which would have been not just the Beatles, but the Beach Boys and, you know, or yeah. some of them. Um, and that that was how she described her job to me. But um, yeah, it could have been, it, it, who knows, it was probably really more generally publicist is a good way to put it. But um, yeah, we used to, the, 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 her daughter, we got quite a few pictures from her daughter and that they're in the film that I've never seen before at all of, um, of the Beatles and that that she took. She's always she's she's quite often cropped out. There's a there's a group photo of I think of like six or seven of them, and they keep changing places. Donovan appears, and that and there's one with her in which we put in the film. That's another element of the film. All these photos that um, yeah, that you've just never seen anywhere. Just fantastic to get them. Her granddaughter Sasha Cook is a pretty well known opera singer. Oh, right, okay, yeah. and and yeah, Bill lives in the. the he lives in the son lives in Hawaii, doesn't he? I think he's a conservationist now, as far as I know. He's definitely not a big game hunter. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, in the the Paul Saltzman documentary, there's a Q and A that follows, 
and it's revealed that um, Richard Cook's father actually kept the relationship with George Harrison and he helped to build his home in Hawaii. Oh, right. Oh, wow. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. So the Cook family in, in a number of ways, you know, continued in some way with George Harrison and, you know, part of the Beatles story here. Yeah. So George didn't object to the tiger shooting that much. <laughs> I guess not. I think if we kept this discussion going a little longer, we'll find a way that the four of us are somehow linked. <laughs> you know, um, it's yeah. remarkable how a lot of the story uh, that comes out of this room and, uh, and, and subplots or sub stories all sort of link the Beatles to it, not only the country, India, but all these other little, these, these people who played even marginal roles, uh, somehow people getting kind of connected and linked yeah very much so the, the yeah the, the uh for me the Beatles story is like biblical it really is it's just incredible mm -hmm. yeah you know, how, how yeah. things can go terribly wrong and then something else happens in that so I think that's why I get back such a revelation to see to get such a chunk in that and it's great they took well you get Ringo does say he didn't like India so that's the that was a good bit of revelation we all know that he didn't like India but to hear him say it is uh is quite cool, and it shocks me as well that that's only like that's only eight months down the line from from being in India. That it's just it's another world completely, mm. just incredible. Mm. One Ringo, last question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> did Ringo really eat a suitcase worth of beans? I think so because because um, Dennis O'Dell he Dennis O'Dell inherited his his room didn't he and it was just it was just a suitcase the the suit the boxes of beans were still in the in the uh, he says it in his book the boxes of beans were still in the room so he didn't consume that many i mean even going to rishi Kate, when you go there now there's no there's obviously no alcohol but there's no meat you can't have no dairy products at all so i thought you were going to say there's still empty cans of beans <laughs> laying around yeah uh, could be. actually you could connect the fact that ringo ate a lot of beans in india with the scene in Get Back. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the party and, and yeah, yeah, that's true. Martin that he oh, yeah. started. Yeah. That, you, know, you know, probably a carryover if he ate all that many beans that eight months later. Yeah, most of Still. Yeah. Okay, and have a last question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I can follow that. <laughs> but uh, um, even though you sort of answered this question, I'd like to know the, the everlasting impact of what happened here in India on the other Beatles. I know with George, he absorbed it so much. He loved learning about the music, the culture, the philosophy, all of that. Was it mainly just learning about meditation and going through that experience? Is that the most they got out of it? And I know that certainly in the case of, of Paul, he's used Indian instruments on his solo music. When, it, when he felt it was necessary. But what was the impact that this experience had for the most part on the other Beatles besides George? Well, I think, yeah, we've got the, we've got the John quote in the film from the Keele, I think from the Keele University interview where he says, you know, that India was the greatest experience ever, which, which kind of un underlines it, I think. And I, as far as I know, I think, I think um, he wrote, I think India, India is a 1980 demo. I might be wrong, but I think it's a 1980 yeah. demo. So he's still, it's, it's he's still late. reflecting yeah. on, yeah. on India then. Um, hmm. Ringo, Ringo is obviously involved with, you know, David Lynch and that foundation with Paul. So he's, he's still, um, he's still got that connection. And then obviously Paul 
had that meeting with the Maharishi now. And I, I, I think, I think I'm sure somewhere he, there's a song he does called India and his sound checks, apparently. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But And I don't know what it sounds like. So I've no idea. Mm. So yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's all, I think it's pretty much all four. Yeah, definitely. And Ringo does say, Ringo, you would think would be the weakest link, but he does say, in, we've got that quote from him in that press conference where he says about he still meditates and that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's good, yeah. Okay, well, there is an awful lot of really illuminating stuff in this film. Um, if you haven't caught it yet, um, I recommend it. It's on BritBox and um, you know streaming um, and will be out soon on DVD and Blu-ray. And Peter, thanks so much for coming and talking to us. It's yep. uh, been great. Thank you for the great questions as well. Very good questions. Okay, so that was a, a great chat with Pete Compton, I thought. We'll go around and give our uh, contact information, um, starting with Ken. Okay, if you would like to get in contact with me directly, uh, my email address is everylittlething at att.net. On my YouTube channel, which is called Ken Michaels Radio, I just did a really interesting show. You know, it's kind of, I mentioned this, uh, in this particular um, show that, that I did with the two guys from Two Legs, Tom Hunyadi and Annie Nichols. Um, we did a show on what we felt has been Paul McCartney's creative peak in his entire career. And, you know, one of the most watched of my videos is the one that I did with you, Alan, kind of mm -hmm. a similar thing. What you thought the Beatles as a band, their creative peak was. And great thing about a topic like that is you know you can do it many times with different guests and get lots of different answers and for someone like Paul for me it, that's not an easy answer to give <laughs> you right. know you're dealing with someone who's been one of the most prolific writers of all time and his catalog is massive you know and um, for some people it might be obvious his his best years were in the Beatles you know, for some people, it's his Wings days. Some people might think he was more creative on his own after Wings. Um, some people think he's he's on a great ride right now. The last several albums that he's made, a lot of people think are great. So everybody's got different opinions. And I thought that I would ask the two guys who do a solo Paul McCartney podcast to chime in on that particular topic. And uh, that is my latest video on Ken Michaels Radio. If you can, please subscribe to that. Um, also, there's my website, KenMichaelsRadio.com, where there's weekly Beatles trivia every single week where you can win one of 10 prizes and lots of great interviews that I did in the past. And those are strictly audio interviews. And um, don't forget, I do have a weekly Beatles show that is in syndication called Every Little Thing, which airs on roughly 50 radio stations. It's not a show you can hear on demand. You have to listen to individual radio stations when they air it live. And you can find a page for every little thing um, with a listing of all the radio stations when they air it links to their websites so you can stream them and just look for the page every little thing at uh, my website Ken Michaels radio and I think that's it. Darren. All right. Well, um, I'm at WFUV uh, and uh, we're 90.7 FM in the New York City metro area. Um, you can stream WFUV at our website, WFUV.org, and we have an app. Uh, you can also ask your smart speaker uh, if you have one that, to play WFUV. 
Um, the app is easy to find, uh, download it, and it's a handy way to be able to listen to the station. I can be heard Monday through Thursday nights starting at 10 p.m. and Saturday afternoons from 1 until 4. And this coming Saturday um, would actually, is actually the day that marks my 38th anniversary on the air, on the radio, slash on WFUV, where it's, it's all just about, not everything, but most of it's happened for me on the radio at WFUV. And it was uh, 38 years ago, February 26th, 1984. Six in the morning on a Sunday morning, I did my first show. And the first song I ever played, Venus and Mars from Wings. Um, Very cool. Uh, into rock show. But um, anyway, so I'm on the air uh, 10 p.m. Monday through Thursday nights, 1 to 4 p.m. Saturday afternoons on WFUV. Uh, shoot me an email at W, at, uh, sorry, at uh, Darren DeVivo at WFUV.org or go to Facebook. I have two pages. Uh, find one of them, get in touch, and we'll be uh, connected. Okay. What, for your anniversary, we should have a party. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, perform on top of uh, a maybe, um Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't really, I'm not, I don't have anything planned, but uh, maybe, maybe the next show we do, I'll wear a little party hat. Okay. Sounds good to me. We may hold you to it. Okay, so for me, um, easiest way to get to me is on Facebook, and I've got two pages, two and a half pages. Um, there's just plain old Alan Cozen. There is Alan Cozen Remixed, and there is a McCartney Legacy Facebook page. Um, Adrian Sinclair, my co-author, um, does most of that and um, regularly puts up um, interesting articles and pictures and things that we've um, run into in the course of our research and uh, uh, any news about the book as well um, would get posted there. Um, you can contact the three of us at things we said today radio show at gmail.com. Um, say it again because it's so ridiculously long. Things we said today radio show, one word at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at, at, at things we said fab. Um, and as a show, we also have two Facebook pages, <laughs> soon to be more maybe, um, and, and then to be less. Uh, there is the plain old Things We Said Today page, and there is the Things We Said Today Beatles Radio Fans page. Um, we hope you're watching this on YouTube. Um, that way you can have gotten to see the trailer for the film that we just talked about and, um, you know, all sorts of other atmospheric stuff, but we also have an audio version, um, which is on Podbean and iTunes and uh, various other places carry it too. And uh, if you follow us on any of those and feel like subscribing to, a, to our channels on those services, that would be great. We'd love it. And uh, so that's that for Ken Michaels. Darren DeVivo. I'm Alan Cozen saying thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.